0: Praise the Lord. Um, two things you can't go wrong with. One is to start out with a Phil McCutcheon song, and then I heard Jenny Mayo say the other day that there's no such thing as a bad short sermon. <laughs> so I'm going to sing a Phil McCutcheon song and preach a short sermon. <laughs> How can you lose with that? Get that thing rolling. Or maybe I'll just preach a short sermon. All right, if if it ever comes on, I'll sing it. Just let, wherever I am in preaching or anything, just let it roll if it gets going, and I'll just stop what I'm doing to sing. I was in the middle of a sermon once at Safe House, and I was preaching on the subject between a rock and a hard place, and a man had a seizure in the middle of my sermon. We stopped, called the paramedics, they came and got him, I started preaching again and finished the sermon. So, maybe not. Um. It's a joy to be here, and uh joy to be here during this even difficult time, because we are family. Um, I've got a couple of things out there on the table that I'm, one thing in particular I'm very excited about, and it's not my CD, but it's a little book we put together years ago called How to Pray for Children, 79 Ways, Wives, and Examples. Um. I started praying Isaiah fifty four thirteen over my daughter when she was just a just about five or six years old, and have continued that prayer Isaiah fifty four thirteen. The Amplified Bible says, "And all your children shall be disciples, taught of the Lord and obedient to His will. And great shall be the peace and undisturbed composure of all your children." And so I have called that prayer out to God many times. Scripture prayer—that's what makes this little booklet so good. It's all scripture. There's no dialogue at all. It's just all scripture, and um, now I have Isaiah. Isaiah, would you wave at everybody? A little wave, <laughs> my boy. This is the prayer I prayed for Isaiah this week. Hebrews thirteen twenty, but I, I you know, I put the word Isaiah in there where where it fits. Now the God of peace equip Isaiah in every good thing to do his will, working in Isaiah that which is pleasing in his sight. Son, that's my prayer for you today. And I believe that God is more than able to do that, don't you? Praise God. And so, you can see Isaiah, he'll be out of the table. Come here, Isaiah, and take this, please. I'll forget it, so take it back there with you. Take that, too. Buy a book. I'll give you a CD. How about that? That's better than Walmart. Do you more good than Walmart? You know nothing like an emotional event to to cause us to reflect. And um, Philip, Pastor Phil, said he thought about not, me not speaking this morning. Well, I offered to him, I said, you know, I don't have to speak this morning if you feel like that you have this word. And by the way, I appreciate the word he gave us, didn't you? Amen. What is important to you? That's what I was thinking about this week. What are the things that are really important to me? And and I'm going to challenge you this morning by saying, what's important to you? You know, the things that are most important will dictate our approach to life; it will it will it will dictate our approach of making this how we make decisions. Um, what's important to me will will affect my lifestyle. And I was just thinking of a few things. I started; I was going to like do like seven things that are most important, and I got to three, and I had so many notes. I decided to quit. Um, and number one, for me. The most important thing in my life is my relationship to God and His Word. Now, God's always been a part of my life um, even before I became a follower because Philip and I were raised by godly parents that loved God wanted to please God with everything they had um, and, and one of the things they did to please God was take us to church a lot. Now I love the way Bethany works on a lot of churches are working today that, that, you know, the biggest church day is really not Sunday, it's Monday and Tuesday and all through the week of the wonderful things that are happening. For us, it was just going to church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Saturday night, plus about three revival crusades throughout the year. How many remember those days? Where uh, you know we would go every night for a, for a week, two weeks, three weeks, and that would happen several times during the year. So we we went to church a lot, but I didn't really know God. Now you know I uh, I did I did the normal Pentecostal thing. I think you know every once in a while the Spirit of the Lord would convict me, and I God, I had a lot of things to be convicted about. He would convict me, and I would go down and pray, and I would cry out to God and. I would ask him to forgive me, and I would get up and I would believe that I was going to be different, and then by Monday before noon, I found out that I wasn't any different. Being sick was not an excuse to stay home from church for us. I remember distinctly telling my mom one morning, I am too sick to go to church. She said, hurry up and get dressed. Well, to get down to the church early, and let the pastor pray for you. Before church starts. (laughs) Then there was this night that I met God for myself. We got to come to that place where we meet God for ourselves, not through our parents and not through our church, but for ourselves. Uh, Steve Powell is the district secretary for Peninsula Florida District of the Assemblies of God, and we used to go preach for him, Philip and I and my and Judy, we used to go preach revivals for, for his dad up in up in near Chicago years ago. And Steve was just a teenager in the church there, a little bit rebellious. And I always tell him, I say, Steve, you know you got saved in one of my revivals. He said, I got saved in all the revivals. I said, okay, I know what you mean. <laughs> um, but that was the culture we grew up in. But I'm coming up on a birthday in a couple of weeks. Because on April the 27th, 1967, was an incredible day for me. For one thing, it was the day that I decided to announce to my folks, I'm not going to church anymore. And uh, I'm telling you, at any other time in history, I would have lost that battle. But how many know the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing? And we'll just follow him. We're all going to end up all right. And so my dad, to my shock said, "Oh, that's no problem. You going down We had a little cafe, a little little hamburger joint, and said, uh, "Go on down there and get the restaurants uh, uh, you know prepped up for work, and I'll, I'll go into church, and I'll come down, you have it all ready to open up after church. And I went, Man, that was easy. I would have quit church a long time ago. If I would have known it would have been that easy. So I was like the happiest kid in town that day. I didn't have to go to church anymore. And I just could just work and go to school. So, man, I went down. I got the thing all, all, um, all prepped up, ready to open in the afternoon. And then Dad comes back, and he says, "Son, there's a young evangelist at our church from California." Well, that kind of got my attention because a bunch of my friends had hitchhiked to California and they came back telling these wild tales. So, I wanted to go. They said, and he plays the guitar. Well, that got my attention, and he sings. I think you would like him, and you know, you're probably ahead of the story. I went down to church that night, not expecting to do anything more than hear a preacher from California, but the Holy Spirit sitting back where I was, got a hold of my heart and called me to him. and I remember I had i had like torn the transmission out of my car the night before. And so I was walking home after church, but there was something different. All of those times I'd went to the altar and I'd prayed, I'd made God promises, I, had, I was going to do this and that. But that night walking home, something deep inside, I knew that I would never be the same. I knew I wouldn't be the same. I can't explain it. I don't know why it didn't happen to those other 175 times or more than I went to the altar. I don't know why. But I know that night, when I walked down the front of that church, God got a hold of my heart, and He changed my life, and He changed the things that are important to me. The importance of God in your life will affect your approach to life. It'll affect how you feel about church. You know, how many of you know you can get beat up in church? You can get disappointed in church. You can can be let down by Christians that uh, break your heart. Um, I I remember my old old grandmother McCutcheon, somebody asked her once about this preacher that had had gone bad, I guess, or fallen into some immorality, and they said, What about that? Do you think it's true? And her statement was, Yes, it's true, but don't let it throw you. God changed my attitude about church. I wanted to go to church now. I, I remember distinctly the pastor came over to see me that uh, that next week one day and, and he was talking to me about coming to church, coming to church. I just stopped him. I'm 17 years old. I just stopped him. I said, Brother Ring, you don't have to tell me to come to church. I'm coming to church. You know why? Because God changed my life. What about the Bible? I changed my attitude toward the Bible. I started reading the Bible in a whole different way. Do you read your Bibles? I I can't see you without doing this. You don't have to answer. You know, the Bible intimidates people. And they look at it and go, oh, I can't read. How could I ever read that whole big book? But you can read a novel in two days. I can, you know, I'm talking to me too. I decided this year at the first of the year, I would read through the Gospels once a month, every month of this year. You know how many pages? Like in my Bible, yours wouldn't be that much. Different. You know how many pages you have to read in your Bible every day to read the New Testament uh, to read the four Gospels through in a month? Seven pages. I know you could do that. I, da- I challenge you. Seriously, I dare you. No, I, I challenge you. To look at the Bible, you know God. God speaks to us through this book. People say, "I want God to speak to me." Start reading the Bible. Get that book out. Start reading it. You're going to find out God is on every page of it. When 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 God became important in my life, my my attitude toward the Bible changed. And I've been reading it and reading it almost fifty years now. I've been reading that Bible. <laughs> Nothing affects me more than loving God, except trying to come to an understanding of He loves me. What a, what a concept, right? I love God. Well, that's you know, that's easy. He's lovable. How many know somebody that's not lovable? Or at least they're difficult to love. God's easy to love. But he loves me. Romans 5, 6. When, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely will a, for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone will even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's one of my favorite times of the year. Right now when we think about the fact that He loves us. Would you love you if you was God? (laughs) I hope so. I, I can be unlovable sometimes. But God loves me. I love the song that says, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star And reaches to the lowest hill. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled. And pardoned from his sin. And the the chorus says, O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels song. And on the wall of a what we used to call an insane asylum, we're much more per- politically correct today. But someone who was a patient there had somehow evidently got a hold of an old Jewish poem that was actually composed in the year 1096, and he brought it up to brought it up into modern language, and he wrote it on the wall of this hospital. And this is what it says: Could we with ink? The Ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. That's the love of God. That's the love of God. That's the love of God. Everything that is important in my life. In your life, it needs to flow through our love for God and His Word. And if your relationship to God today is casual, or maybe it was like me, you just went to church a lot, you come to church a lot, but you don't really, really know Him for yourself. If your relationship is like hit and miss, up one day, down the other, I want to encourage you to make a commitment to God this morning. Come to God in a little bit, or even right now, and tell God, I'm not going to leave here the way I came. I'm going to leave here different. What's important to you? God is important. Family is important. Psalm 68, 5 says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. But the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. You may look around and see a family that just looks perfect. But allow me to let you in on something. There are no perfect families. There are no perfect parents. There's no perfect children. However, with God's help, we can be faithful. It's possible to stay faithful and lead our families in a godly manner. Catastro- catastrophic events sometimes. How many remember exactly where you were and what you were doing when 9/11 happened? How did you feel? I totally remember. I totally, totally remember my feelings. You know what it was? I want. I need to get my family together. I'm. My first call is to my daughter. My second call is to my brother. We got to get together. So I knew that life in America would never be the same. And, and a lot of families came together during that time. And you may have some challenges. How many ladies, married ladies, know if you've got a husband, that's a challenge? And I don't want any men to answer this, but if you have a wife, how many know that's a challenge? In-laws can be a challenge. <laughs> but you know what? I've seen God heal marriages. I've seen God heal families. I've seen God turn children around. And one minute, they were, they were literally destroying, disrupting a house. And then later on, they're getting ready to go on the mission field because God came on the scene. I'm going to get real personal with you, and I'm going to share a personal story. Um, and just to show you that there is a turnaround time. Years ago, it's been a long time ago now. Over thirty years ago, I was traveling all the time. Then I'm I'm at home now during the week, every week. But I was traveling a lot, and I, I was scheduled to fly in on on a Thursday to Tampa. We live in Florida then, and I called Judy and I said, "Look, how about um, make reservations for us at the Japanese place we like to go to? Let's go out to eat." Well, you know, plane landed and. Got off and I went uh, went out to the curb to, to get in. My our daughter, sixteen years old, was in was in the back seat, which that kind of surprised me, but uh, it was all right. And but when I started putting my suitcase in, Judy came around to the back and she said, "Joe, I have some news." Said, yeah? See, yeah, Sharon's pregnant. Man, time stood still. <laughs> my heart dropped. I felt this dark cloud descend on me like I have never experienced. Because one thing you've got to realize this was a girl who had never been in rebellion. She'd always been in church. When she was five years old, she crawled up in my lap and said, I want to know Jesus. And I led her to the Lord. She was baptized in the Holy Spirit when she was nine years old. She never came in late from a date, she just was never out in rebellion. She'd so been my friend and my skiing partner and my travel companion and the best daughter really anybody could ever, ever ask for. The rest of that evening was kind of a blur. Um, hours dragged by. You know, you got friends. I mean, know you got friends that try to help you sometime and they really, they don't really help? Somebody heard about it and brought me some Canadian Club whiskey. I said, is that the, do you think that little bottle is going to help me? little miniatures. (laughs) I don't think that's going to help. (laughs) Somewhere around midnight, I, I was in the back room, little office I had in our house, and I had just fallen over this beanbag chair, and I was crying my eyes out and my heart out, and God spoke to me. And people that know me, you know, I don't throw that around very lightly. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't go there very often. God told me, God told me, God told me. But I'm telling you, that night God spoke to me, and you know what He said? He said, "You're embarrassed, and you need to get over it." <laughs> he said, "You're just worried about what people's going to think about you." That sobered me up, <laughs> not from the whiskey but from my own selfishness. <laughs> and I walked back to Sharon's room. She was laying in the bed wide awake, eyes wide open. I walked over to the bed, and I don't remember at all what I said to her, but I prayed for her. I said, I want to pray for you. And I prayed. I said, God, let Sharon go to sleep and get some rest tonight. And I turned around, and I walked to the door. When I got to, go, to the door, I turned around to say something to her. And she was already asleep. I should have prayed that for myself because I didn't sleep. But here's the short story. You know, in Atlanta, we have baby daddies. Sharon married the baby daddy. He was scheduled to meet the Presbytery Board of the Assemblies of God in Georgia a couple of months later, and I begged them not to go but they went, went before the board of the presbytery, and they said, Look, we were really messed up. But God's forgiven us. And thank you to that board. You know what they did? They said, Listen, we're not going to give you credentials this year. But next year, you don't have to come back. We're just going to mail them to you. And by the way, my grandson Jimmy. Uh, do we have that picture of him uh, that we can put up there? I don't know. I was, I was hoping to put a picture of him up there. That uh, By this time today, he's getting ready to lead worship for the third time in a church of 20,000 people and has a wonderful marriage. And has been going on living for God all these years. That's what God did. Bad situation. But you know, it's not a sin to get pregnant. They sinned. But look what came into the world now. This wonderful young man that loves God and leads worship and just an awesome. Oh, oh, there he is. That's my boy Jimmy. Actually, his name is James Gilmore Mayo V. And he says, if they ever have a son, there's not going to be any more Jimmy Mayos. We're done with them. Loves God, walks with God. I'm so proud of him. So proud of him. I don't know what you're facing today. This is what I know God can turn it around. I don't know what's going on in your families or your life, but I know this God can turn it around. I could, you know, I'm the world's worst at going off on some rabbit trail and telling you stories, but I I could tell you a dozen stories of God, even through our own failures. I have a man by the name of Anthony there in Atlanta. I met him about five years ago when he first got to Atlanta. He was homeless in Savannah, Georgia. They bought him a one-way ticket to Atlanta and, and told him not to come back. And so he showed up in Atlanta. He's an alcoholic and uh, has now come to Christ. And the other day I was sitting in the park with him and uh, started talking about family. He started telling me that 21 years ago he'd gotten arrested down in Louisiana, but he had some charges on him in, in, in Missouri and they extradited him back to Missouri and he never went home. Never saw his wife again. Never saw his two children again. 21 years. I said, well, would you like to talk to your children? He said, I would love to. You know how that goes in about five minutes. I found his daughter on Facebook. She's living in San Diego, and we contacted her. He was scared. We contacted her, and she called like right back and said, I would love to see my dad. She was six years old the last time she had seen him. Or seven years old. Now she's 28. And God is in the process of restoring that that family relationship right now. His son so far hasn't come around. But the daughter, in fact, just came to Atlanta and visited with her dad. And, and and as soon he's got a little dental work that needs to be done, his plan is now to move to San Diego to be with his daughter. What a turnaround. I don't know what's going on with you. This is what I know. God can turn it around. God can turn it around. Um, I want to show you a couple pictures uh, and ask you to pray about something. Then I got I got one more short point I want to give to you. But if we could put those two pictures up one at a time that I got up there, this is very this is very um, uh, urgent in a way because I really need you guys this coming Saturday to really pray for me and. Uh, One of the things that God has opened up to you, I told you last year, it was just beginning, that God has opened up Muslim students to me and put me right in the middle of all these Muslim students. I don't know about you, but I don't know any other preacher that has Muslims calling him pastor. But I do. And uh, this coming Saturday, I'm hosting a pancake brunch for the homeless with a group called Uplift, which is youth from different mosques around our city that are going to come together. This will be their fourth time to come and serve the least of these. And, you know, it's not my... I I can't... I don't know how to... I don't know how... I don't have any tactics on how to talk to a Muslim or any of that. I don't know anything about that. You know what I know how to do? Just love them. (laughs) That's good. Just love these guys. And, and, And it's funny... Somebody asked me, said, are you leading any of them to Jesus? And I say, I'm leading all of them to Jesus. I'm not just leading one. But I do have one that's just kind of come out of the Muslim closet. And he called me the other day. And it's very difficult. I mean, this is a, it's a real difficult situation. But he called me the other day. He goes, Joe, he says, I think I messed up. I said, well, what are you talking about? He says, well, I saw this guy that I used to see at the mosque. And I gave him this Islamic greeting, and, and I really shouldn't have done that, but I just didn't know what to do. And am I in trouble? I said, you're going to be fine. <laughs> you're going to be fine. Pray for us this coming Saturday. I'll be hosting probably about 40 students from, from Uplift. The last time they were there, well, the first time I worked with them, a young lady comes in with a guitar. And I thought, man, I wonder what they're going to sing. And I'm thinking if I should not let them or what was going to happen. And I decided just to kind of sit back. And then she started singing Sweet Home Alabama. I figured I could live with that. <coughs> and then the last time they were there, <coughs> about maybe five months ago, I was kind of back in the kitchen area with, with some of the students and their leaders and I hear one of our guys, one of the guys in, in the ministry, singing Amazing Grace. A little girl comes over and she goes, You know, the last time I was here, one of your guys asked me if he could sing, and he did that same song. And before she could say anything else, one of the adults goes, Man, that song gives me the chills. Young lady said, You know what? I'm going to learn that song before I come back. So I'm counting on that this week. To have a Muslim lady wearing a hijab singing Amazing Grace. I tell you, I think that's going to make God real happy. Pray for me this week. So I can just be faithful. That's what I try to do, just be faithful. And I got a few friends. Um, I don't trust everybody to be with my, my people. So pray for me. One more thing that's important to me, and that is to fulfill the destiny that God has for my life. 1 Corinthians 9 26 in the message says, I don't know about you but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else all about it, and then missing out myself. When I first started this point, I wrote down the opening statement, and then I had to delete it. My opening line would have been, in order to discover your destiny, you must become a whole person. However, about that time, I had to go to the restroom. We have a mirror in our restroom. And I looked in the mirror, and the mirror spoke to me. And it said, <laughs> you got to go back and take that line out. <laughs> You know, when I was young, I thought, man, when I'm middle-aged, I'm going to have it all together. I'll be over all the temptations, and I'll just be like on, on autopilot living for God. Then when I got middle-aged, I thought, well, maybe when I get old, I'll, I'll really have that all together, and I'll be just, you know, cruise control. And now that I'm old, I still don't have it all together. I still sometimes make God promises that I can't keep. And so I don't stand before you today as a person that has it all together, but more as a broken vessel who, who at times still don't have it together. And yet in God's grace, He lets His Spirit flow from me. He lets the supernatural come through me. Comes through me, not because I'm anything, but because He's Everything. I have a great friend down in New Jersey. His name is Pete Thompson. Pastors of a church called New Beginnings. For the last several years of his mother's life, she was hooked on, on prescription drugs. And she was taking the, overtaking these drugs every day. And all day long, every day, she laid on the couch in a haze, rubbing her prayer beads like this. All day. Hours and hours and hours, and, he, and Pete was just ah oh, crazy woman. That stupid religion, and he would just you know he would be so aggravated at his mom. Said you know she's laying there with him all hopped up on drugs, and, and and she's you know doing him the stupid prayer beads. And when she passed away, a few weeks later, God spoke to him and said, Pete, when your mom died, I lost an intercessor. Because in her broken condition, she prayed all day, every day. How many of you are glad that God uses broken people? Broken people. Beat up people. People that sometimes don't have it all together. But he uses us. And this is not a lesson that excuses sinful behavior at all. I'm not teaching that. The Bible doesn't teach that. What I am teaching you is don't let the devil tell you that God can't use you. Don't let the devil bring up your past and use it against you. Someone said when the devil brings up your past, remind him of his future. Hmm. I, I think it's time that we in the church face the great enemy of our souls and understand a very important fact. Satan is a defeated foe. I, get, I hear, uh, in the old days of testimony time, I show my age when I talk about testimony time in church. People stand up all over the building and give a little testimony. Sometimes it was all about the devil more than it was about God. <laughs> oh man, the devil's been after me this week. Bless his name. Something like that, you know. Somebody asked a friend of mine, do you believe in a real devil? He said, I believe in a real defeated devil. That's where we stand. We don't fight the devil. He's already defeated. We stand in the victory that Jesus has given us. Revelation 1, 17, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of Hades and death. Write these things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. I'll tell you, the, the disciples in Luke chapter 10 was all excited, and they come back to Jesus, oh Jesus, man, listen to this, the demons are in subject to us. I don't know, I call this Jesus' sarcasm, because you know what He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. It's like, why does that surprise you? That demons are, are a substitute. I already, I've already seen the end of Satan. I saw him fall like lightning from heaven. What, it's kind of like Jesus said, you know, hey, what you, what'd you expect? <laughs> so don't let the devil knock you off course and prevent you from fulfilling the destiny <coughs> that God has for you. I love Psalm 139. It's called sometimes the most personal prayer, a p- psalm that was written. When David began to say, for you have formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest part of the earth. Your eyes saw my my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written the days fashioned for me when as yet there was none of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. I, I tried to imagine what David was going through right there. Somehow, you know, he was maybe looking at nature, and but he began to contemplate how beautiful and marvelous and how wonderful he had been made, uh, prescriptionally made for God so he would be just the right person that God wanted him to be. How wonderful. You know, uh, he didn't have a sonogram or, an app on his phone. I'm gonna, you wanna know how old I am? I'm getting ready to be a great grandfather. My granddaughter, Brittany, is gonna have a baby this summer. and She has an app on her phone that tells her day by day the exact progress of the life that's growing within her. She called me a couple weeks ago. She said, Pop, Hudson James has, ear, has lips. <laughs> it was the week his lips were formed. David didn't have that advantage, no, no, no sonogram, no nothing, but deep down in him from a place that God had put there, he began to talk about the wondrous and awesomeness of God and the thoughts of God, and, and, you know, I don't know if he remembered all the Psalms that he wrote, I don't know, once in a while I'll start singing a song that I wrote, and I, and I can't remember the words to it, uh. But I'll tell you, I believe he remembered this. and I just can imagine him later talking to his grandchildren. Go, listen, let me tell you about one day I was out in the field. And God began to speak to me. And I began to realize how wonderful and how powerful God is. <laughs> I, 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 think, I, I don't think he ever forgot that revelation that, 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 that God gave him that day. And Paul said, I don't want to be a castaway. I don't want to miss the mark. And I want to close with the story, the very quick story of Samson. A child of promise. A child born with destiny. He was to be a judge. He was to rule people. But Samson never fulfilled the destiny that God ordained for him. He never became what God wanted him to be. His sensual desires would come back to haunt him again and again and again. And his life, the life of a man that God had ordained and prescribed to be a judge over his people, he ended up being the laughing stock and being and having his eyes gouged out and grinding at the mill. And he actually became, he became the comedy of the day. And there was a day toward the end of his life. That um, he was, thousands of people had gathered and they were worshiping their God, not the God, but their God. And they thought, let's have some fun. Let's bring Samson out and let him, let him just entertain us for a little bit. They called for Samson to perform for us. And you know this story, but I might have you look at it just a little bit different. And they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, "'Let me feel the pillars which support the temple "'so that I can lean on them.' Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof, watching Samson perform. Then Samson said to the Lord, saying, "'O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once. O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance "'on the Philistines from my two eyes.' And Samson took hold of the pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right, one on his left. Then Samson said, "Let me die with the Philistines." And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords, and all the people were in it. So the dead that he killed at, that, at that killed at his death was more than he had killed in his life. It's been a long time ago when your pastor was a teenager and he was preaching at a youth rally. That I was attending. I don't remember the sermon, but I do remember one thing, and I have quoted him for the last so many years over 30 years. Philip made this statement It's sad when you can do more by dying than you can by living. That's a pretty sad thing to be on your gravestone, isn't it? And I want you to notice. Samson, had, he, had, he had great destiny. He could have been great. He was a total disappointment because of his own desires. And I want you to notice verse 28. Because even in his death, it was all about him. He says, O oh Lord God, remember me. Strengthen me. Oh, just this once, so that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistine's from my, from my eyes. He had said nothing about the, the reputation of God. He, didn't, he said nothing about his own failures and his own repentance. But his only concern at the end was, let me take vengeance for what they've done to me. A man born with great destiny, great promise. He ends up committing suicide. As thousands of people watched and laughed at this shell of a man who never walked in the path that God had for him. I heard somebody say on a TV show, when I die, I would like for it to be said of me that I was the richest man in the world. You know what? It doesn't really matter when you die, does it? When I die, I pray that it will be said of me, he was faithful. God not that he did great things but that he did what God told him to do and what God wanted him to do and I want to challenge you this morning become it's not about becoming all you can be it's about becoming all God wants you to be I just want to close with some action steps that you can take I say, one, check your relationship with God. Check it good this morning. Feel that very strongly for somebody. Check it strong. Number two, step back and let God do some healing in your family. I'm going to come down there for prayer myself, folks, in just a minute, too, because I need some help. And number three God help me do what you want me to do prayer partners are here the communion is here so I just want to invite you if you want prayer and need prayer step out of where you're seated right now and make your way up to the front Isaiah did you get that book and see come and talk to me just a minute Come on down if you want prayer. Come on. You have been listening to the Bethany Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at bccma.org. Thank you, and God bless.